Welcome to Arena Craft, a podcast dedicated to Magic Arena, Pioneer, and newer formats. My name is Arjuna, I am your host, and I'm wishing you a happy new year. This is the first episode of 2020, which, if the previous year is anything to go by, promises to be a very full year for Magic. Probably going to have a lot of sets coming this year, and hopefully not too many more bannings or controversies, but you never know. And we are on the eve of the release of Theros Beyond Death. That's going to hit this Thursday and probably going to definitely shake up the standard format. We'll have to see how much impact these cards have in other formats. But with the escape mechanic, it's, you know, you can be fairly certain that someone's going to be trying something in the older formats around all of these escape cards in the very least. So that'll be exciting to see how that plays out. In the meantime, though, uh, I've got some Pioneer for you guys today. This is just based off of a conversation that I fell into with our guest today. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about prices, card speculation, and in general, the flaw for buying in in Pioneer and giving people some good ground-level advice on where to spend their money which cards and archetypes are going to be valuable. We'll have more standard material coming your way very shortly. I'm definitely excited about the Theros release on Arena, so so don't worry, that content is coming. In the meantime, let's get into our topic today. So now it's time to bring in today's special guest to the show. Really excited to be talking with this guy all the way from his car in California, traveling with us on the road. It's Jonathan Medina. Say hello, Jonathan. Hello. Hey, thanks for having me on. I like being called a special guest. That makes me feel special. <laughs> oh, you, you definitely are, man. It's definitely an honor to have you with us here today. So yeah, just brief overview. I ran into Jonathan on the interwebs. He published a, a you know one in a series of articles, latest of which at Cool Stuff Inc. was an article called Buy Into Pioneer Now. And um, this this was really cool. You know, this show definitely does cover Pioneer. And I've, I think I, like many people, have had this feeling of like, I love Pioneer. I really want to get into it. But, you know, it's a really volatile time, right? At the beginning of a format, you know, they have been very, uh, they haven't, they've not been shy about banning things. And <laughs> You know, so it's tough, right? Because it's like you want to play the strongest decks, you want to find the best strategies, but at the same time, you don't want to have a deck banned from out under you. So um, that's why I was really excited to read this article that Jonathan wrote, which just went into after, right after the bans that happened late December when they said, you know, we're going to stop doing as many bannings now and hopefully the format's going to stabilize a little bit. So um, that's what we're going to be covering today. Now, I definitely want to talk about that, but before we dive deep into that topic, Jonathan, I just wanted to ask you about, you know, your history with the game. How long have you been playing and lead us into what happened between the beginning of you playing to you writing this article here on Cool Stuff, I think. <laughs> wow, what a, that's, a, that's a long story. Uh, <laughs> right? I'll keep it short for, for everyone's sake. But, awesome. Um, I, I started playing in Future Sight. Um, I had a graphic design business and I was looking for something to kind of 
have some downtime, you know, something that was just kind of light that I could play with my friends and chill out. So I, I picked up magic and then I just like went, uh, you know, I, I, you start losing, you know, and you're like, Hey, I need to build better decks. So I'm like, what are the best decks? And I played in Vermont. That's where I started. And these guys, yeah, these guys did not play, uh, standard because they all had old cards. So all they played was legacy. So I had to go and get a legacy deck, right? So I ended up building blue green theft threshold. And then I learned how to trade because, you know, Hey, if you're going to try to get like a legacy deck, you need to learn how to trade, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. And so I started doing that back then I was trading and then I ended up buying and selling quite a bit because, you know, my wife was, there was some tension with my wife, you know? And, uh, I was like trying to, you know, validate magic's existence to her. And I'm like, look, you could sell these cards and make money, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I was like, sold my first batch of cards for like $2,000. And she was like, oh, honey, I'm sorry. You had to sell all your cards. You know, I'm like, oh, that wasn't all my cards. That was extras, you know? Nice. And then, uh, of course, you know, that was a mistake. Cause she's like, well, how much are your cards worth? You know? <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, I fast forward, I ended up starting a, a business called legitmtg.com. And then, uh, I kind of drove my life into a into a uh, a post and uh, had some issues and I ended up selling legitmtg.com and then kind of taking a hiatus from magic cuz I had got way way too wrapped up and as as many of the listeners know I'm sure this game can really get you wrapped up in it and oh, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't really that magic was the problem it was just that uh I had problems and I was using magic to kind of medicate and whatnot. Yeah. So um, I took a hiatus for about five years. I think it was five or six years. And now I'm back creating content again. And uh, I've been writing for Cool Stuff Inc. Uh, on various topics, you know, commander and uh, combos and also a little bit of magic finance, which I used to write a lot about. Um, I've written for StarCityGames.com. I've written for, you know, LegitMTG.com. I've written for, uh, you know, Gathering Magic, which is now Cool Stuff Inc. And, uh, and plenty of other places. So uh that's where we are i wrote this article because i started playing pioneer when it first was initiated and uh i love the format i think it's gas and uh and i started to tell my friends hey you got to get into pioneer man the prices are so low right now and things are about to get crazy and i ended up telling so many people that that i was like hey i'm gonna write this article because i think people should know you know it's time to buy in Heck yeah, that's that's awesome, and it's definitely. I'm excited about it too. This format is perfectly targeted at someone like me because I came back into Magic uh, with Shadows over Innistrad. You know, I'd, I'd been playing a lot back in the '90s, but I came back to it in Shadows, and so for me, this was this was. I think I'm the target market because this is like my modern, right? This is like the eternal format that plays all of the cards that I know and love and that, and I actually own a lot of them. Right. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm really stoked about it too. And so I, I also started with that rush of like, okay, like what could we play? And it's like, right at the beginning of the format, I was like smuggler's copter. I love this card. You know, (laughs) I I have some of them. I've been waiting to play, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, maybe blue, white flash tempo vehicles thing with smuggler's copter, maybe a little heart of Karen in there. Let's go, you know, get my Gideons back out and, uh, you know, boom, right off the bat smuggler's copter band. 
So I'm, it took a minute. It was not part of the first banning. At that's least. true. No, no, no. That, that, that's a good point. You know, it, it, it's funny, actually, it probably had about the same life cycle in Pioneer as it did in Standard, right? It was getting played for maybe like a month or two. And then it, and then it got the axe. Yeah, about a month. I was sad about that. I, out of all the cards they banned, I feel like Smother, Smuggler's Copter was one that probably could have stayed in the format. Um, I feel like they could have done something else to knock the mono black deck down a peg. Yeah. Uh, like Castle Lock Twain is a good example of something they could have banned. Or even as silly as this sounds, uh, Knight of the Ebon Legion. Uh, mm. it, it sounds, or Ebon, Ebon Legion. Yeah, is Ebon yep. Hand or Ebon Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Yeah, so like that guy really gave that deck a lot of power, you know? Yeah. And I think banning it would not have removed the deck from existence, but it would have made it less powerful without banning Smuggler's Copter. But I think they figured, hey, since this thing got banned in standard, it's only a matter of time before we just start seeing it everywhere and like we're just going to have to ban it, so we might as well do it now and kill two birds with one stone. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree. It's also a bummer because my other buddy, Felidar Guardian, got banned as well. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that was another one where I was like, couldn't we just ban Sahili, right? Right. No one plays Sahili. I want to have my fun with Felidar Guardian. But I think that that was the same kind of a situation where they were like, you know, even if we ban Sahili, we're probably going to end up banning banning Felidar Guardian at some point in the future. So let's just nip that one in the bud and take that one out as well. So I think, you know, I've already been a little bit stung by the whole coming in early, you know, speculating on decks thing. And so I'm sure many other people too. I mean, I, I feel like if you've been playing Pioneer so far and a card that you've been playing hasn't been banned from the format, then, you know, either you're very lucky or, <laughs> <laughs> or you know, or you haven't been trying to play at the top tables. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> That's a nice way of saying it. You haven't been trying to play at the top tables. Right. You know, oh, because yeah. there are a lot of people who, who are just like, oh, you know, let's let's get out Siege Rhino again, right? Or let's, you know, oh, let's, yeah. let's play Possibility Storm. Or let, let's do something a little more unorthodox, <laughs> right? I played a lot of Possibility Storm, so I, I, know, I know the feeling. I love that deck. Yeah. A uh, little bit inconsistent, but like a fun deck nonetheless. Yeah. Um, I think like one thing I would say to people like, that's one of the big reasons why people have not bought into Pioneer or are kind of on the fence is they don't want to get hit by bands. Yeah. And there's two aspects to that, right? There's the, I don't want to make the time and emotional investment into a deck and then get the deck banned, which I have nothing to say to that. I understand that. That's, yeah. a, that's a real risk, you know? Um, but, but the other aspect is I don't want to spend money on a card and then have it banned and, and lose money on the card. What I will say about that is it's a, it's a short-sighted argument, you know, because if you're playing the deck in Pioneer, everything has been kind of at the ground level as far as pricing goes. So any deck you assemble in Pioneer collectively is going to grow in price because the demand for the format is going to rise and it's that whole rising tide rises all boats or all ships right all the cards are going to go up okay so like if you get a deck together maybe one card gets banned but the money you make or gain or the value because you don't really make the money by having cards in your deck but the value you gain by all of those cards going up collectively is going to outpace the value you lose on the one card that got banned or right. you know whatever 
because all of that stuff is still playable. I mean, look at the the blue, red, and soul deck, right? That you know that lost smugglers copter, and people thought, oh, that's not a deck anymore. I mean, that's still a top tier deck, you know, yeah. the blue, red, and soul deck. So people who bought in and got banned, smugglers copters got banned. Yeah, what did they lose? Three to five dollars on each smugglers copter, but all that blue, red, and soul stuff is still playable, you know. Right, and that that's an excellent point here is that. You know, you're right, because with an Eternal format, it's like, okay, four cards got banned out of my deck that was collectively worth, you know, 20 or 30 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, if we look at, you know, modern decks, for example, and that's not even the oldest uh, Eternal format either, you know, there are plenty of of modern staples that cost 50 bucks a pop, you know, or 100 bucks a pop or more, right? right? So you're totally right. And I do, and I agree, it's like a lot of these archetypes the mono black deck, I think, is a good example of a deck where losing Smuggler's Copter really hurt, but it's not like that deck is just dead in the water now, or it's not like you're no. not, you know, it's not like you're not going to be finding other uses for Castle Lock Thwain or for <laughs> your Scrap Heap Scrounger. Yeah. Definitely, you know, cards like Fatal Push and Thoughtseize. I mean, you know, I, I think if you've been paying attention, you probably had kept your eye on Thoughtseize as another card that, you know, maybe could end up getting banned in the format. I think it's definitely, you can make an argument for that being one of the strongest cards left in the format right now. But I think that's just a good example of a deck that's really full of cards, which will be format staples. Yeah, Mutavault's another one. Another yeah, example. right. You know, Mutavault's in the mono black deck. They bought, maybe if they bought four, you know, they might feel like, oh, you know, now the mono black deck got knocked down a pig. But the Muta Vaults are in the mono red deck too, you know? The Muta yeah. Vaults are another, you know? So, like, you don't you don't lose that value. And one thing, if I can, like, keep going here on the Thoughtseize thing. Oh, yeah. I don't think Thoughtseize will be banned. It is one of the most powerful cards, but Thoughtseize has a a bit of a sliding power scale, right? Mm, right. It, Thoughtseize is as good as the cards that are it's taking out of people's hands, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, like, it kind of rises and falls with the format, and it's a little bit of a cop, you know? It's kind of like the police officer of the format. Like, yeah. if stuff starts getting crazy, you know, these aggro decks can get thoughts, pick up thought seasons to keep these combo decks or whatever in check, you know? Yeah, that's true. And it also depends on the texture of the format, right? Because if your opponent's playing a bunch of shocks and face burn and stuff like this, Thoughtseize is not where you want to be, right? And so I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it also very much depends on the direction of the format as far as how valuable a card like that is going to be. You, you could pick that up by just looking at the numbers, right? Some decks play four in the main, but some decks play two and two, like two in main, two in board. Some decks just board them. So it's not like an essential thing, you know, it's just one of, just like you said, it's formed by the metagame, right? If there's, you know, if there's a bunch of burn, you're not like, Thoughtseize is not good against burn, not only because of the obvious, hey, you dealt yourself two damage and now you're going to get dealt like a bunch of damage to your face, but also burn is just a bunch of redundant cards, right? Right. You you look at their hand and it's like, well, which lightning bolt should I take, you know? That's it. And take, take two. I mean, if you're, if you're playing against a combo deck, it's different because you're trying to break up their combo or knock out their pieces. But right. if you play against a deck with a lot of redundancy, it's kind of like like a ramp deck or whatever. Well, it's okay against ramp because of the payoffs. You want to get their payoffs. Exactly. So they yeah. can't, you know, but but what I'm saying is like if there's a lot of redundancy, then Thoughtseize is not very good. And sometimes you board them out. 
or don't board them in at all, you know? Yeah, totally. So this brings me to this question of, yeah, I, let's talk about what are some staple cards in the format right now. And th so Thoughtseize is a great example, right? Of being mm -hmm. a card where, you know, according to Jonathan Medina and, you know, <laughs> other informed sources, it's like, go ahead and invest in Thoughtseize if you want, because it's probably going to stick around, right? So, so let's go into this a little bit. Like, what are some of the archetypes that you see being quote-unquote stable in the format? Like, these are, uh, you know, archetypes fueled by these strong cards, which are likely not going to get banned, that the average Pioneer player right now can feel fairly confident in investing in. I think that archetype-wise, most of the archetypes in Pioneer are safe right now. Uh, the only archetype that I would be curious about, maybe I would not invest in if I'm afraid of bannings, is the Lotus, uh, the Lotus uh, combo, Lotus Field oh, combo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and mainly because there's not a lot of points of interaction that you can have with the deck. That's the, that's the key problem there is that because Lotus Field has Hexproof, you can't really interact with it. Now, there was a new card printed in Theros, which takes Hexproof off all your opponent's permanents. So it's a, it's a equipment. Mm, so I, that's right. I might, you know, that's a card that might, like, it's one of those things, like, if it's just seeing play in an aggro deck or in a deck that, you know, it makes sense in, it could be a way to combat the Lotus Field. But the problem is, is that you have to, now target the lotus field yeah. you know yeah. so like okay now it doesn't have hex proof but what are you going to do to remove it is it a field of ruin thing or is it a you know that's a double whammy thing? man it's like a hex proof targeting which isn't the most common thing you're going to want to do and then b land targeting which is also not the most common thing you're going right. to do so you're right <laughs> it's, it's a pretty hard target unless there are other hex proof threats in the format right right yeah. so that that archetype itself uh, is something that I feel like, okay, this is something that worries me as a player to, you know, to build. I don't want to build it because maybe it's not the best way to invest. And be, that, uh, that's another archetype where the cards are not very universally, you know, mm, used right. particularly. You know, it's yeah. a lot of untapped stuff. Not that those cards cost a lot of money, but, you know, it will be hard to pivot if you put all your eggs in that basket and it gets banned. You'll have to probably just rebuild a new deck. Yeah. Um, so other than that, well, like can, can I just stop you for a moment there? Yeah. Of so course. do you think, do you think that Lotus is the card that people would have to watch out for getting banned or is, is there another card in that deck that you think might end up on the ban list? I think the only thing you could ban is Lotus field Yeah. in that deck because yeah. like you don't want to ban the, the land that copies it, the Despian stage. Uh, right. that, that's actually one of the points of interaction you have is that you can pithing needle thespian stage mm, to stop them okay. from copying the, the Lotus field and getting multiples. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, also the, the big, the big go-to right now is damping sphere to, to stop the deck, right? Sure. Because it turns, it turns off the, the Lotus fields. Yeah. So, I mean, but, but they would, I imagine, I haven't seen the latest iteration of the deck, but I imagine at some point they just moved to brazen borrower, you know, because yeah. that's a low cost way to bounce the, bounce the damping sphere, and then they go off. It's just like old school storm, you know, where you um, you bounce their hate piece at the end of turn, and then untap and just you know 
go ham. So, yeah. so that's a, that's a deck where I feel like, okay, that's, that's something that it's hard to interact with. Now there's cards and other archetypes that are, that might, you know, cause issues. I know that, um, Aaron Forsyth has made comments about little Teffrey saying uh, yeah. that it, cre- it creates, uh, bad play patterns and things that maybe they don't want to encourage. I have not seen little Teffrey having being a problem in pioneer. Uh, it seems pretty medium in pioneer to me, in my opinion. Uh, and the deck that has picked it up and utilized it most as of lately has been the blue white control deck. Yeah. Um, which is a, is a medium deck in my opinion. You know, it's not very, uh, it's not like top tier in my opinion. It's probably like 1.5 or something. And, uh, so I feel like if you build blue white control and they ban Teferi, that's not a big deal. You'll probably just fill that slot out with something else, you know? Right. And I think it also highlights the fact that with some of these quote unquote bannable cards, it really depends on the supporting cast, right? So that's an example of where if we had a few more cards in the blue white archetype that really were pushing the power level over the top, then, then you might start to see a Teferi ban. Right. I think the question is like, one of the things we have to be careful of is we have to ask the question is, Really, is it what gets a card banned? Mm. Is it that it's that it makes the best deck? Like, I don't really think so. I think in the beginning of Pioneer, they really wanted to take out the decks that were proportionately over proportionately better than the other decks. So, you know, if it's winning, you know, 70% of the time, they don't want a deck that's that, uh, you know, oppressive. Now, if there's a, if there's a best deck, but it wins 55% of the time or, you know, 58% of the time, I think that's fine. And I don't think we have to worry about a ban out of that deck, you know, yeah. unless there's a play issue, like where it takes forever to finish a game or, you know, the sensei's divining top problem, you know, right. Right. That's kind of where I feel like that's where the, you know, Nexus decks fall, you know, yeah. in this just really awful play pattern where, yeah, maybe it takes 20 minutes for someone to finish a game. And it's like, all them playing, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, totally. So yeah, so Teferi 3, an example of a card which, you know, while you might want to keep your eye on it, especially since the price is relatively high on that guy, um, you know, it might not, it's it's probably not immediately on the chopping block. I noticed in your article as well, you highlighted another card which which I and probably most other people have had our eyes on for a while, which is Nykthos Shrine to Nyx. Where do you think that card is in terms of the likelihood to be banned? Uh, I feel like it... Okay, so I did a... Um, on my Patreon, I did a um, live journal before the, the, the uh, January 6th banning. So what I did was I started... Sunday night and I said hey look these are the cards that might be banned tomorrow and let's watch it develop and I'll tell you if they get banned how far the price falls and all this stuff so like I, I took notes of all the pricing on buy list and the pricing in the TCG market and then I watched them and then I updated people as the day went on you know yeah and then there was no banning so I just said there's no bannings but here's the update you know you can still look at these cards for being banned now, at that time, I did not have Nykthos on that list because Nykthos was, was a problem in the beginning of the format, and it, it has since kind of fallen uh, down, you know? Mm-hmm. There, just, there just hasn't really been a, a, a really a Nykthos deck that I've seen and said, oh, wow, like, I played against the Mono Green deck, like, early in the format before they did the bannings, and I was like, 
I almost like just took apart my pioneer decks because I'm like, I cannot compete with this deck. This deck mm-hmm. is resilient. It's just, it's just brutal. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I spotted it as like, clearly this thing is overpowered. I haven't seen anything like that with the Nykthos uh, now. So I'm tempted to say, Hey, it's not on the list, but the reason I won't say that is because now we just got a set. Yeah, yeah. That focuses on devotion. Exactly. So it's like, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Before we, you know, we have to process, what does that mean? Like, yeah. What are these cards bringing from a devotion standpoint that might like really key into some of these devotion strategies and make them overpowered, you know? Uh, so, so yeah, Nick, those, I feel like, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like right now it seems fine. Let's see what Theros brings. Cause it could get unfine in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. And that that's, see, I think Nick, is another one of those cards where, if you if you take any format older than Pioneer, it's probably just not going to be a problem. I think in a format like Pioneer, a card like Nyxos could still at some point in the future be a problem, right? And so mm-hmm. I think to me, it goes on that list of cards that might, that just have so much likelihood of being unfun at some point in the future that it might be better to just get them out of the format now. But I totally agree that I haven't seen anything so far, especially since they really took the teeth out of that mono green deck that that has pushed Nykthos to be too powerful. So I think I'm mostly in agreement with you there, but I do think that it's one of those cards that like, it's like a powder keg, you know, I feel like Nykthos is always hiding around the corner, just waiting to, you know, blow up in your face kind of a thing. One of the reasons I don't put it in that category is because it plays to the board. Like, mm, yeah. if you want to, if you want to interact with Nykthos, you could just blow the board up. And then, you know, that, that makes things, one of the things that, think about everything that makes Nykthos broken, right? It's like, there's a couple of things that come to mind. First of all, the, uh, lay, the green ley line, right? That just, that slotted too well in there. Give you two free pips. Right and off let the your bat. Mana, yeah. Right. And let your mana dorks tap for two. Yeah. So like that, that combination just made Nykthos really like powerful because like, think about it. Turn one mana dork and, and ley line and then yeah. Nykthos and you're already tapping the mana dork for two, activating Nykthos for three. Yeah. Right. So it's yeah, like on four time man- two. Yeah. yeah, that's just yeah. disgusting, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like that thing that, that made it that made it uh, powerful. And then you think about the um the oh man, now a uh, burning tree shaman, right? Yeah. Is it Bur- burning tree shaman? Burning tree uh, emissary. emissary? One of the two. Yeah. yeah, emissary. Yeah. So that one is like a free, you know, when you, when they go emissary, emissary, you know, and then like it's like, okay, yeah, that's gonna tap the Nicholas for a lot. Yeah. And I, I think the icing on the cake was a card that I feel like is OP, uh, but you know, has not really put up the numbers to get banned, but it's um, Nissa, you know, who shakes the world. Then they untap their Nykthos and tap it again. And it's like, okay. But, but what I'm saying is like that made, that made the deck really hard to deal with. Cause like, if you blow up the board, you can blow up the elves, but do you blow up the Nissa? Do you blow up the, the enchantment? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, if, you're but, right. It's there's just so many different angles of attack there, right? Yeah, land, planeswalker, enchantment, creatures. It's like you can deal with some of those. You're probably not going to deal with all of them, right? And so, like, what I'm seeing now is because they can't have those quick starts. I feel like the devotion deck is going to be mostly creatures on the board, and then if you just 
you know, supreme verdict, then Nictus is not very, very good, or they're tapping it for two or three, or, you know, right. which is almost net, net neutral, you know? That's true. And then a different play pattern around Nyctos that didn't involve a creature strategy would probably just be an interesting strategy, right? So that's kind of okay. Like if, if someone's playing a lot of enchantments, like again, Theros is a very enchantment heavy deck, right? So if someone's playing a lot right. of enchantments, again, you know, that could be busted if that turns out to be some really busted uh, enchantment deck. Uh, Constellation, is that what it is based around the Constellation yeah. mechanic, right? So that that could be problematic, but again, it's kind of cool. Like if if there's a strong enchantment deck in Pioneer, that's a cool thing to have that really diversifies the meta game, you know. So maybe that's uh, that's enough to absolutely, yeah, yeah. I think people like the more diverse decks we can have in the format, the more f- people play the format because they find a, a deck that they like and they join the format, you know. So I I think it'd be fine to have a enchantment deck. Because also you can hate it out with one hate card, right? That's something that blows up all enchantments, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. What do you think about the whole elf controversy in Pioneer? Do you think that having eight uh, one-mana green mana producing elves is too many in Pioneer? Or do you think that that problem is, has mostly been resolved? I don't think it's a problem. I, I think, like, one thing you have to be careful about Pioneer is... Like, let's not ban the whole format. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There, there are certain, like, features of the format that I think we want to keep around, and we want to do powerful things. Elves help us to do powerful things, and it, it, it kind of dials the interaction down to turn one, which I think formats with interaction on turn one are interesting formats to me, you know? Mm. I think that, that things like, um, you know, Fatal Push and, and um, Wild Slash, those are that's interesting to have in the deck and it it kind of puts um deck building constraints on but in a good way you know like what kind of decks are we going to have if we don't have to have all these fatal pushes and wild slashes in our deck you know yeah. these it pushes it toward mid-range it pushes it toward like that more dirtily control stuff which is fine you know to have those kind of decks but i think it's like um it's important to to have like decks that represent all types of play yeah and people are mad about you know oh i'm going to play a, an elf and then i'm going to play a rabble master or i'm going to play uh you know but it's like come on like <laughs> you know what's the problem here you know in my opinion like we we have plenty of ways to deal with that stuff especially those decks are especially weak to sweepers you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. stuff like three mana sweepers there's plenty of them you know uh, Daphne Clarion sees playing the format. Anger of the Gods sees playing the format. To uh, me, it's like uh, my my personal kind of underdog favorite, Sweltering Sons. I've I've been enjoying that guy as well. Yeah, yeah, that was great. I I, I actually uh, just a little quick off topic aside. I actually uh, won an EDH game because I played Sweltering Sons with a uh, with a Chandra's artifact, the one that copies it. So oh, I dealt six damage yes. to each uh, each creature. <laughs> And then attacked. It was hilarious. But um, <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but like I think the elf thing is just—it's overblown, in my opinion. I, I really I like elves in the format. I think eight elves is fine. Also, like sometimes you just draw elves. Yeah, like, that's true. If you have eight eight elves in your deck, like that's fine. You know, you love it when you look across at your opponent. And you're like, oh, what are they going to play now? And they have like four mana open, and then they're like, tap a mana, play an elf, go. You're like, yeah. Oh. That's sweet. They're not. They're drawing. They're drawing dead. You know. Yeah, it's a really good point. It's a, it's almost like 
when we were talking about once upon a time, right, as as an obviously broken card, it's like, yeah, having four once upon a times in your deck is pretty rough. But like, if you were able to put eight once upon a times in your deck, would you, right? Would you even do right. that? Let's say you draw three once upon a times over the course <laughs> of the game, like that kind of ends up being a disaster, right? And so I think you're right. It's almost like when you're running eight elves, it's like it's twice the payoff, but it's twice the risk. Right, and the Once Upon a Time actually mitigated that because that was part of the problem. So you have a lot of pressures on this elf argument, right? The first one is the the elves, right? The fact that you can ramp, okay? The second one is the London Mulligan, right? Because you can set up your turn one elf, turn three play with the London Mulligan. And then the other pressure was Once Upon a Time in the sense that between the the London Mulligan and the Once Upon a Time, you were like almost always guaranteed to have like turn one elf and turn three payoff, you know what I mean? Or whatever, because the once upon a time doesn't have to find an elf. It can find a payoff, you know, which is what made it so like egregious, you know, also it's zero mana, which is also. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That's true. It, it being able to find either the land you need, the elf you need or the payoff you need. That's like a little bit too good. Right. Right. Or the like removal spell. Yeah, it's covering all your bases. So, right, right. Yeah. I was also thinking, if you think about your average, you know, your average opening hand in one of these decks, right, is, uh, and like the ideal opening hand really is you've got maybe two to three lands, you've got one or two elves, and then you've got like one or two payoffs, right? So that's, you know, that's kind of your ideal start in, in a deck that's trying to do stuff like that. And one of my, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is just if your deck is not built to either handle the elf or the payoff, then like, what are you doing? You know, (laughs) it's like, because it's, it's not like every card in that hand is going to end up being lethal, a lethal threat you have to deal with, you know? So it's like, it's like either you tune your deck to deal with the elf problem or you tune your deck to deal with the payoff. And if your deck's not dealing with either, then, you know, you probably just need to rethink your deck choices is, is, right. is what I'm thinking, you know? Yeah. And I'm not, to be honest, I'm not seeing, there is some elf decks, right? There's the mono green ramp deck, which run elves. And then there's, um, you know, the mono green beatdown deck, right? The one that yeah. puts like a, what is the, uh, uh, steel leaf champion in play on turn two, you know? Yeah. Um, but other than that, there's plenty of other decks that are, it's not like, hey, either play a land world deck or just like leave the format, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there are plenty of other great decks. And it's like, you know, I, I think that people who don't like the land world situation should just play a different deck, you know? And I, yeah. I don't think it's, it's oppressive to the format. When there was Oko, that was a different story because yeah, yeah. turn two Oko is a problem, but, you know, Oko's not here anymore. Pro, you know, Oko's fixing to get banned in modern, right? So, uh, <laughs> what kind oh, it's, of? It's absolutely getting banned in modern. There's no doubt <laughs> yeah. about that. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. You know, mo- most cards that are banned in modern don't belong in Pioneer. On that topic, let's talk about another card that was on your possible hit list in your article, which is Dig Through Time. What do you think yeah. about Dig Through Time in Pioneer right now? Uh, the the main problem I have with Dig Through Time is that a lot of smart people are saying that it should be banned. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror and saying, I don't think it should be. And that may, maybe means I'm dumb. What does that say about me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. I, I respect these people, but like, I don't agree with them. I don't think it should be banned because it doesn't feel like, um, 
there's two reasons. Number one, uh, it's it's harder to fuel in this format than it than it really ever has been. You yeah, know? yeah. Because we don't have the fetch lands and we don't have a lot of like early interaction that could beat it. You know, I mean, the the blue white control deck is trying to do the best it can with things like like uh, sensor to cycle. Yeah, you know, opt, opt you know, and stuff. Lots of stuff to try to get the gas. Um, you know, the other delve card is dig through time, which the Phoenix deck uses, um, strategic planning, Mm. which is like, which is mana positive, right? Because two mana, you put, you know, I think it's two cards in the yard and the strategic planning, which is three cards. Yeah. Which basically means it gives you three mana for your, your dig through time, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's Uh, a ramp spell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Your treasure cruise. Sorry. But the thing is, with the tr- with the dig through time and, and treasure cruise to a lesser extent, because uh, treasure cruise is really the only one seeing play in Phoenix, and dig through time is seeing play in like uh, blue eye control and like soul tie control and also any kind of combo deck, right? Which right, because that because they're not looking for card volume, they're looking for particular cards, right? Yeah, and the the combo decks are not very strong in Pioneer right now, so you know really the best utilization is dig through time is probably just more in the control shells, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I really just don't feel like eh, it's like, eh, it's not, it's not finding like the lethal combo where like they dig through time and then boom, you know, you're dead, you know, yeah. that's not how it works. Yeah. And uh, you make a really good point in that the value of dig through time and treasure trues is, is, somewhat dependent on the value of your counter spells and the value of your card filtering and stuff like that so you're right it's like if you're not playing serum visions or ponder or you know remand or like you know mana leak or some of these stronger counter spells then it does take a lot of the sting out of a dig through time because the things that you're doing to fuel your dig are just not that impressive. Or the other payoffs, right? The other delve payoffs are just not quite as exciting. Yeah, in the Phoenix deck, before they adopted Young Pyromancer, it was like super airy, right? There was just a lot of air in the deck. Yeah. So they would like treasure cruise and then just draw a bunch of air, you know, just a bunch of more <laughs> draw spells, you know? Yeah. And it's like, oh, you, you know, what are you going to do? Like draw a bunch of more cards and then treasure cruise, you know? Yeah. It's like, okay, with Young Pyromancer, a little bit more dangerous because let's chain things together, put the pressure on the ground with the Young Pyromancer. And then with Young Pyromancer, you can kind of hold the Phoenixes for more of a combo finish, you know, than like more of the deck leaning on it, right? Yeah. And, um, What's the, you know, the, the flip guy, uh, man, it's, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Yeah. The, uh, thing in the ice thing in the ice is just so bad in the format because there's so many fatal pushes, you know, it's like you get no value out of your thing in the ice, you know? And so, so yeah, so I'm just not seeing like the same thing with the blue white control deck. Like you're saying, you know, they, they do a, a dig through time and what do they get? You know, a bunch of sensors or like, you know, yeah, you get to pick the best cards, but like, man, you know, what are you picking? Like Planeswalkers is really what you want. You want to find your five mana Teferi and maybe a counter spell to protect it. But that doesn't seem unfair to me, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, speaking of Young Pyromancer, uh, another card that I've had my eye on is Monastery Mentor. You know, this is a card that's notably legal in Pioneer. You know, this is like a, what, like a legacy playable card, right? 
so it's been on my mind, like, surely we have to be able to find some way to break Mentor in this format, right? And maybe not because we just don't have enough O's, right? We don't have enough, like, zero-cost, you know, cycling or card advantage things. So, so maybe it's just not a Mentor format. But when I look at the list of cards that do broken things, it's hard to come up with a, with a creature in Pioneer more powerful than, than Monastery Mentor. Do you have any thoughts about the potential for that card in the format? I have not played with Monastery Mentor in this format. And I've heard people say, and I don't know how, how right this is, but I've heard people say it's not even that good in the sideboard of blue-white control. Yeah, I've I've heard people say that too. It just seems like maybe it's because we just don't have enough good cards to support it. I can see why you wouldn't want to play it in blue-white control because... You know, what are you doing? You're like maybe casting a counter spell every turn or, you know what I mean? You're, or, or maybe you're wrathing the board, right? Which is just terrible for your mentor. So I feel like mentor is better in like legacy or, you know, vintage because the creature removal is not as heavy as it is in like these other formats. So an unchecked pyromancer or not pyromancer, but a mentor will just end the game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you also have that interaction where you can like play an early mentor with like a zero mana counter spell up in those yeah. formats. And then you counter whatever they do, you know, and then you're making dudes, right? But it seemed like in Pioneer, like the best way to use mentor would be more of a tempo deck, right? Something that where you can like, because what you want to be doing is doing prowess while you're attacking right yeah you don't it's not so much about making dudes i guess i guess you can make dudes but you know i don't know I, unless those dudes are getting pumped up it feels weird right and then if you're playing counter spells you're not really paying the counter spells when you're attacking so yeah. it, it's almost like you want brazen borrowers and like you know ops and like maybe some burn spells or something to like you know clear the way or whatever and, and attack or I don't know what the deck looks like, but I really don't feel like we have the tools, like you're saying, to make Monastery Mentor uh, super worrisome, you know? Yeah, especially since when you look down the roster of other white cards, it's like, what other white <laughs> cards exist that make Mentor good, right? So <laughs> it's like, why, why, why am I playing white if not for the Mentor? Well, you could play uh, Brave the Elements and all your monks get uh, protection. Oh, baby, now go, we're man. talking. <laughs> uh, yeah, one mana, you can make a dude, a monk. Yeah, I love it. So yeah, you know, but before we move on from this, are there any other cards that stand out to you right now as, as being on the chopping block or just danger cards to watch out for? I feel like um, I feel like Nissa is really good, and uh, I don't think it's on the chopping block. But uh, like, I don't think Wizards is like let's target Nissa. But I feel like Nissa is very good. It's something I would keep an eye on in the format. Um, but other than that, no, I don't. I don't think of any other cards that you know that I can think of that you know. I feel like oh, this is this is definitely too good. You know, there's definitely good cards out there, but I think they're all within a, you know, modicon of, you know, um, play, you know, strength. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the format settled into what looks like a fairly stable position right now. Really glad to see, you know, all of, 
all of the cards that I would have wanted to see banned have been banned. So that, <laughs> that actually makes me excited about the format because it feels like, oh, maybe Wizards kind of has the same idea about how they want this format to look as I do, right? Um, right. Which, which is is always good because I, I think that that's part of playing any format is like, you know, do do I like what exists in that format? And right. do, do I like what Wizards and the player community has collectively decided are like the okay cards to play in that format? So if someone were to just kind of generally want to get into Pioneer right now, let's discuss some cards, maybe just, a, you know, five, ten cards that would just be really solid investments or like staples that someone could feel really good about spending their money on. Like what what are some of the cards that you think are just some of the more powerful cards that are going to be pillars of the format moving forward? Uh, okay, so powerful cards that are going to be pillars of the format. Um, Thoughtseize, Mutavault, Chandra Torch Defiance, um, Brazen Borrower, Questing Beast, maybe? Let's. Can I stop you there? Let's talk about Chandra. What's What's hot about Chandra that that you know makes her kind of so good as an investment in the long term? So Chandra Torture Defiance um, has been a, a role player in a lot of different decks. So um, in the low to the ground mono red decks, uh, it has been in the sideboard. So as kind of a way to um, play against kind of controlling decks or decks that you know mid rangey decks, it gives them a little bit more gas. So that's one, but there's a, a deck that Todd Anderson has been playing and uh, it's, a, it's what he calls the chonky red deck. <laughs> and it's, it's not the loaded or ground burn deck. It's more of like, you know, three mana, you know, rabble masters and like, um, you know, uh, Chandra, there's three Chandra in that deck. And, um, and you also find it in just the sideboard of rug decks and the sideboard of Phoenix. And it's just, it shows up if you start looking in sideboards it's it's in a lot of sideboards. I was playing in the main deck of Possibility Storm because it ramps you. You can go off one turn earlier. Um, and so, like, there's a lot of applications, and I think that it's just one of the one of the best Planeswalkers in the format, in my opinion. It's true. It's kind of hard to argue with card advantage, ramp, creature removal, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and an ultimate that is pretty game-ending if you ever manage to get there, so... Yeah. Right, and there's there's some format like like another one of the big creature cards that's starting to pick up play in different archetypes, both in Gruul, Mono Red is um oh man, now uh, the the Exert Dragon. Oh. Yeah, Glory Bringer. Glory Bringer, yeah. Yeah. And that's you know, that dies to Chandra. And so that is like that 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 play, that line of play is, is something you want to have access to. And That's so, right. I, you know, that reminds me of the standard, right? When when red aggro or red black aggro was really hot and standard, I think that was yeah. a lot of the reason why people were running Chandra in that deck was that you know if someone dropped their glory bringer, you could slam Chandra next turn and just one shot it, right? Right. Um, There's a lot of good for like four is a good like breaking point in the in the format to have an answer for and. It's also in that uh, there's a Rakdos deck that's been doing pretty well. It's a mid-range kind of Rakdos deck. Yeah, Chandra's also in there. So there's a lot. It's, it has been seeing a lot of play. It's also been, there's a lot of financial stuff happening behind Chandra. Uh, stock is being moved. Uh, buy lists are going up. You know, that, that kind of stuff. When, when you see stock going down, draining, and then you see people's buy lists going up, 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 I think they're buying them at 18, and like the market price is like very close to that. 
you know, that's, that means it's prepared to like do a little bit of a bump. And so, so I'm not talking about investments. I'm mainly these days, you know, I'm trying to talk to players who want to get the cards before they go up or have to spend extra money on them. So when I'm giving these suggestions, they're more for like, look, these cards see play cross, cross, um, archetype. And, uh, they're strong cards that will probably be strong in the format for the foreseeable future. Okay. Awesome. So, so yeah, so we covered some of them. We had, uh, yeah, Thoughtseize, Chandra, you, you left off a questing beast. Yeah. I think questing beast is a good, is a good one. Yeah. That guy's solid, man. I've, I've been playing a lot of questing beast in standard, you know, and, uh, yeah, that guy's probably not going anywhere for a long time. Uh, yeah, what else, man? What else comes to your mind? Uh, let me see if I can think of anything else. I already said Mutavault, but like there are some smaller cards that I think are going to start finding their way into the format, like Manlands, you know? Mm, um, right. I, I feel like some of those, you know, Battle for Zendikar Manlands uh, are just good, you know? And especially when you deal with, like, you know, things that have Planeswalkers, like Blue-White Control, you know? Um, and you want to clear out a planeswalker. I, I started to discover this when I was playing the possibility storm deck because you can't beat a Teferi, right? Because you, you don't want to play possibility storm when they have a Teferi because then you'll get locked out. And so one thing I started doing was just putting Manlands, the, uh, the, um, the blue green one in my deck and it has hex proof. So I would just clear the Teferi out with the Manland and then, you know, play my possibility storm. And I've been always impressed with how good they are. I've been playing them in different decks too. I played in, in a vehicle deck. I played the blue, the white red one. And, um, that one hits for four cause it has double strike. And so it's like, this is not bad. You know, I, I feel like I like this. The format's slow enough to like where these band lands are interesting. And they're all like a dollar or something right now, which is just, it's dumb to me. So I just get the foils, you know, cause it's like, yeah, I mean, I was cubing the other day, and I was playing a bunch of them in my cube deck, and they were doing work, you know? I mean, it was... Right, yeah. Yeah, they belong in, in even really powerful formats, I think. Yeah, so I think I think those are those are examples of something that's m- smaller money, and that is not something that's a staple. That's something that it just hasn't... People are not playing them. I really kind of don't know why, but I think that as the format matures, some decks will pick them up. I can't think of anything else that's kind of like mid-rangey right now on the spot that i have um that i think people should pick up you know let's talk about some more lands here so if someone was going to invest in dual lands for pioneer i mean you know clearly the shock lands are a premier you know but they're also quite expensive what are like some of your best bang for the buck mana sources in the format I think the best bang for the buck right now is the pain lands. Mm, so yeah. those, you know, you can still pick them up between, you know, un- $3 and under. And all of those do a great job of um, creating mana, especially if you pick your deck to kind of like utilize that, right? Um, I've been playing, like I said, a vehicle deck. I don't want to talk too much about it because for a project, but um, I'm using pain lands in there. And the vehicle deck is great because it's like, the pain lands, you don't have to use the colored mana, you know? So you play a hard to cure in and it's like, it doesn't pain you. And then when you have to use the mana, you only tap it once. Right. So I think that, I think those are the best bang for your buck, but if you can get the, um, also the fast lands from Kaladesh, some of those are still cheap. Um, 
And those are, those are really kind of staple in the format. So in my opinion, it goes like Shockland, um, like Fastland, and then Painlands. And, and then like, uh, you know, then you have things like, you know, the kind of bigger lands where you got Mutavault, uh, you know, Nykthos, um, Mana Confluence which mm, to right. me like mana confluence like i bought four of them when the format started but like the more i play decks the cleaner the mana bases are getting and i have not really seen a lot of mana confluences in decks these days so unless so i would say don't invest in mana confluence unless you have a deck that you really need the you know the multicolor support you know yeah and yeah. and make sure you need the number you need because a lot of times it's only two copies that these decks play, you know? So don't go buy four like an idiot like me. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, and then just never play them. You know, that's like a hundred dollar right. investment. Yeah. I, I, it's just, it's good to think about lands because especially in terms of an investment perspective, because lands are kind of evergreen, you know, they're not, they're not going to leave the format. They're mm-hmm. not likely to become less relevant. Um, definitely yeah. the, the more mainstream ones are, are likely to just stick around for the, for the entire format unless something else amazing comes out so i think that that's a really good place for people to start um it's kind of like the advice i give on arena too if someone's like where do i spend my wild cards it's like shock lands <laughs> get, get all the shock lands first and then you know and then work out from there yeah and especially because you know the, the like you were saying the monetary value of a lot of these cards is not likely to go down no and that's that's because the format is such at a beginning place right now and people have been scared to buy in. So, you know, this, this is not going to last forever. I mean, this is starting to fade right now. So many people are talking about buying into pioneer right now. Uh, you know, brainstorm brewery had mentioned it. Um, I'm hearing pros talking about, Oh, now's the time wizards has stopped banning things. You know, that's, it's, it's really becoming like mainstream knowledge to do that. People are picking stuff up. I've been selling a lot of Pioneer cards. So I think the door is closing and people need to start locking in on their decks, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think it can just be tough for people, especially people who have been following, at least to some degree, Magic Finance over the last year or so. Mm Because it can be really hard to see Supreme Verdict jump from three bucks to, you know, 10 bucks or or higher, right? That can be like, that can be a tough thing to stomach and to think it's still in my interest to buy supreme verdicts you know? <laughs> well um, at some of this stuff obviously is not any room to grow uh or it's going to grow very slow like a supreme verdict's already like almost 20 bucks oh wow okay. it's that high wow yeah yeah it's <laughs> almost 20 and, it. yeah yeah and it's like okay like is that one going to grow well probably not so much but it already did you know like if you were picking up blue white cards a month ago, you would have got your Supreme verdicts much cheaper. Yeah. And so, so I think that, um, when I wrote that article, I think there were 14 or something, you know, so they've gone up another, you know, four or $5. Yeah. Um, I think that really people would do well just to not think about that magic finance stuff so much. I think it sometimes, uh, squeezes the joy out of the game, mm, you know, yeah. like just, you know, the formats gas. If you see a deck you like get in, you know, and, and have fun, man. Like, don't start thinking about, Oh, did I lose a dollar? Did I gain a dollar? Like, that's just gonna, that's gonna like kind of take away from the experience of just playing with your friends, having a good time, playing a good, healthy format. Yeah. And, uh, 
you know, like I think we've made the mistake of becoming so value oriented that, you know, it sometimes is, hinders us from enjoying the game. Yeah. And so I, I, that's one thing I want to like try to champion because like I do speak a lot about value and stuff, but it's only to help people. It's not so much to make it a thing, you know, like let's not fixate on that. Yeah. I really appreciate that because I've noticed it in myself where like, you know, I'll find myself agonizing over the price of a card. And then sometimes I have to check myself and, and check back in and be like, look, this Pioneer deck is going to cost me like $120 in paper or something. And that yeah. is just not that much, right? It's right. like a lot of the Pioneer decks I've wanted to build are actually cheaper than standard decks right now. <laughs> and so it's just like, you know, it's like, okay, it can be hard to swallow buying, you know, three or four Supreme Verdicts, you know, that's like 80 bucks right there. You know, but it's like in the in the broader scheme of things, this is still quite an affordable format. And like you were saying, it's like if you turn around in however many number of months and sell those cards, you're unlikely to see a huge depreciation. So yeah, I, I think another thing you should maybe $150 or whatever is a lot of money for someone. And if it is, I, I would say just play a suboptimal card. Like yeah. you don't have to play the $20 Supreme Verdict. Like there's like a five mana wrath that is, what is it? It's uh, everything that dies and you gain a life or something like that. Yeah, um, fumigate. Fumigate. Like buy some fumigates, man. Those are what, how much are those? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, 50 cents or something. They're, yeah. <laughs> they're much less than a Supreme Verdict. And there will be games that you're going to lose because you didn't have a Supreme Verdict. You got to fumigate, but like, who cares? You know what I mean? Like the, the format, let me, let me say it this way for those who are still like competitive edge, but don't have the money to invest. You can still be competitive in this format with suboptimal cards. And because the format is forgiving in that way, some, you can't really do that like in legacy or even modern because everything is so tuned and so high powered that like you miss, you die, you know? But in this format, things are less like that. It's, 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 uh, there's enough forgiveness for casting a five mana wrath instead of a four mana wrath, you know? Uh, there just is, you know? And, and I've learned that by playing this uh, suboptimal vehicles deck that I've been doing for this project. Which I'm I, excited I like about, by the way. I, I love vehicles. <laughs> it's definitely been top of mind since Pioneer. So you'll have to let me know when, when that one hits. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm really like, uh, I'm trying to get this published. And I'm like, uh, I'm trying to do it quick so I can talk more about it and share all the stuff I've been doing. Because I really, it shows people how to play Pioneer to some degree for really uh, low amount of money, you know. And, and like, I think the format, there is ways to do it. And you don't have to spend a lot of money to play the format and to play it competitively, you know? Yeah. Um, I've had definitely success in that way. Another example is I really think that the, the show lands are an, another example of like a very, very cheap thing that you can do to get into it. And again, they're not as good as the other lands, but they are dirt cheap, man, you know? And in a lot of spots, they work out just fine. So like I was playing, a, I was playing a red green Pamela deck because that was another deck that I liked from, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, from uh, Kaladesh, and um, they were just fine in that deck, you know. And I, I dropped very little equity for running them. So you're totally right. It's like if you, it, it often happens in Pioneer where you look at the card you want and it's like five, ten, twenty bucks, and the very next card on the list, which is like 
the next one that you would choose is like cents, right? It's just like, it's it's so cheap. So it's just like, yeah, you could just make a whole deck around that. Maybe, you know, put your money into the few kind of really big money cards that are irreplaceable, that are probably going to hold their value, you know, by your your planeswalkers or your whatnot. And then just go to town, right? And hey, you know, maybe you're not going to win your next you know local ptq or something but but you'll be able to play at the shop with your friends and you know who knows probably a lot of other people in the format doing the same thing or just running jank right so yeah it's 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 a great time to be playing pioneer it really is a hundred percent i got ran over by a white red knight's deck nice. the other night <laughs> and it's just like that's not an mtgo deck you know but yeah. they they crushed me like pummeled me without mercy you know and it's just like, look, like that deck was not expensive, but it was really good and a lot of synergies and stuff, you know? Totally. Yeah. Well, hey, I think we're coming up to the end of the show here. So I think that's a, that's a good place to wrap it up. Is there any last anything that you want to share before we head out of here? Uh, I guess if you guys enjoyed listening to me, I um, m- most of my content comes through qu- Twitter. So if you want to follow me on Twitter, MTG, oh, I'm sorry, Medina, M-E-D-I-N-A underscore mtg so we'll put that in the show notes i, I assume yep, yep i definitely will yeah and so and i i share on there and um i also just started a discord server nice. so um would be cool to uh to join that and you can find that on my twitter account as well and okay. maybe in the show notes we'll put an invite for that or something but uh the discord server i've been having a great time talking with people about pioneer and finance and all that other stuff so that's awesome that's awesome and of course people can see your articles on cool stuff inc um is yeah. is that anywhere else that you regularly post content on my patreon i've started to do that so like nice. i said i did that live journal and then i did a uh i actually did another article on the patreon seven dirt cheap uh sideboard cards that you should own for pioneer oh perfect so, okay. yeah so there was like seven cards and some honorable mentions that are in Pioneer that are sideboard cards that you should pick up. They're under $2 and they're like, you know, I mean, so yeah, that's another thing you could check out on my Patreon. So that that's where I've been trying to put uh, some extra content in there. Yeah, that's awesome. Right on, man. Well, I'll definitely put all of those links to the show notes so people can oh, get no, connected Oh no, there's going to be a you. lot of links in there, man. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm all about it, man. I'm all about it. You know, let's let's get connected. Let's help with the SEO. Let's do it. All right, <laughs> so, man. I appreciate you having me on so much. This was a lot of fun, man. Oh yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure, Jonathan. Yeah, everyone, just go go check Jonathan out, man. He's one of the premier pioneer resources at the moment. awesome well i hope you have a good day man and and take care you too bye-bye and thank you for joining us for another episode of arena craft it's a pleasure to bring you this content every week as often as i can and you can find us at arena craft pod on twitter and on a lot of other places that you might look for such things we also have a discord it's a friendly and welcoming community of people who would love to have your participation. So you can find all of that contact info in the show notes as well. So until next time, take care, and we'll see you on the other side of Theros Beyond Death.